everyone. Welcome back to another edition of Calchos and Bloods. It has been a minute, guys. Uh, this life has been happening, but we are back and ready to get into the action. So, first, we're going to be discussing Verona versus Spezia, where Verona won 2 1. Um, this was, I felt like a, a must win. Well, I wouldn't say must win for Spezia, but, um, they, they need to start picking up points and they're, they're getting dangerously, uh, close to the bottom, especially with the team directly below them, um, picking up some points thanks to my Romanian wizard. But, uh, it, it really is, is, is gut check time as they say. Um, I don't even know what sport, <laughs> but, um, uh, yeah, so it, it, this was a match where it it, it felt like Spezia needed to to really put together a performance um, that that they could show something that because uh, you know in in the past there's been teams that have kind of lurked at the bottom of the table most of the season but then get it together at the end and usually those teams they have something about them where you look at them and you you see that they're 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 a bit unfortunate, kind of like um, Calgary last year, where we we thought they were going to get relegated, and then they got some important victories um, in the process of doing that, and that's how they were able to raise their stock at the end of the season and, and survive. Um, unfortunately, Parma on the wrong side of that, but um, but this this was a game where Spezia really needed to show something because they've had they've had some decent performances, but they just haven't been able to put it all together and. Um, this game was was really uh, one sided. Verona kind of took the game by the scruff of the neck and and just just went after it. Um, in in there's you know sort of the way about it. They're they're not having the season that they had the last couple of years. Uh, although they did lose a great coach in the process, um, and they've they've climbed up the table since uh, Di Francesco was sacked, and they they look they look much stronger. Um, you know, as we discussed previously, Giov- Giovanni Simeone is having some uh, Jer- Jeremy Lin type season um, because we both know he's 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 okay, but not a great player. Um, and but but they 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 showed up um, lately. He was not really that much involved in this match. Um, and Verona just kind of did their thing. Um, Gianluca Capari getting a brace, scoring in the 58th and the 70th minute. I guess the minute doesn't really matter, but I'm looking at it anyways. Um, which was he some pre- pretty good performance from good football from Verona. They get the job done. Um, the the Verona fans after the first goal, they um, it was a hot day apparently, and they they squirt, squirted some water on him just to cool him down, which was kind of funny. Uh, but uh, he scores twice. Uh, they kind of have it in control, and then at the at the very end, um, um, uh, Spates they get a, a late goal, uh, but it's too little, too late, and then they get a sending off at the end, which didn't, doesn't really help the situation uh just a few minutes after the goal um and uh verona uh get the points and now you look at a, a space team that's not doing that well and they're only three points from from being in the drop zone um and so they need to they need to figure this situation out as quickly as possible while verona i think are pretty comfortable in their position um but they're all they also are climbing momentum as, as well as, as kind of not Europe, but they could make the conference league maybe if they get it together. And I think they put a, a good, good performance. And, um, you know, when, when Simeone is scoring like he is, they're a great team. But sometimes this Verona team just plays better when they play as a team. And, and that, I think that's what we saw against it. Again, the opponent wasn't 
doesn't really tell us anything because the opponent wasn't very good. This is, I think, this more says about Spates needs to kind of get their get their acting gear, or they're going to be in a a situation they don't want to be in. Yeah, most definitely. And just let, note, ladies and gentlemen, we might be a little bit rusty for a while getting back into the swing of things. So, as always, please bear with us. But um, yeah. Spacia right now is in very hot water, as they say. Um, it's either they need to figure out what needs to be done um, to maintain their position, their spot in Syria next season. But right now, it's just it, things keep getting worse for them, and it's just unfortunate because I kind of take it a small liking to Spacia in a way, but it's just one of them things where they need to start working a little bit harder and working on finishing those chances um, and maintaining the ball control throughout the match. Obviously, it'll be harder against the stronger teams such as um, Inter, Milan, um, because we're known for maintaining possession of the ball throughout. But if Spacey can somehow at least work on getting the percentage of the ball most of the time, it could be a good thing for them. But obviously, if, if you're getting possession of the ball, you also want to make sure you're converting your chances too. So they just, in my opinion, they also need to work on their control aspects, not in both, not just both in the attack, but also defensively as well, making sure that any chances that get towards um, their um, opponent's goal or whatever, um, they just maintain that defensive capability. Yeah, the thing is, they need to be able to beat the teams below them and slightly above them, and that's the problem. We're not requiring them to beat Inter Milan because most teams are not going to be able to do that, as well as the teams uh, you know in that in that portion of the table. What we need to see them do is beating the teams that are within range mid-table teams at which right now Verona is and the teams below them. And I think, I think, you know how last year it, it, it went between, it was between Parma and Calgary for the end. And they kind of like rotated throughout the, the, the last, I don't know, three, four weeks of the season. Now yeah. you look at, sorry, <laughs> um, that was not rhetorical. I was just asking uh, just to see if you remembered uh, that. So, so I can go into my next point. So it looks like right now we have Calgary at 13 points. We have Spezia at 16 and then Venezia at 17, right? So you have to look at the with those three teams, Venezia, Calgary, and Spezia. And you look at this, you know, Spezia, um, Calgary. Calgary has better players. They do. They have Rosvin Marin. They have Jao Pedro. They have Leonardo Pavlati. Those are three pretty good players that – I still don't understand why any of those players are still on the team, right? You look above them, Venencia, they got some good players. They may not have names like Calgary, but they got good players, and then they got the American kid uh, that, that's done pretty well so far this season. Um, then you look at Sampdoria, another team that's in this area. They got um, Miguel Damsgaard, the best player from the Euros, at least in my opinion. They have Francesco Caputo. They have Fabio, the Ageless Wonder. And they're 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 playing well this season and a good goalkeeper. And then you look at Spezia. They don't have any of those things. And that's the problem. 
if they don't have the things that you would say are required for a team to, to survive the season. Now they, they might get results here and there. Doesn't mean they're not going to get that. That doesn't mean they can't survive, but it puts them in, in murky water, especially against the teams around them. And that's why matches like this are important because they need to start picking up those points pretty, pretty, I would say quickly because there's still like 18 games left, but they need to get, get in gear uh, over the next couple of weeks because it could worsen, especially if Calgary all of a sudden starts playing really well and the other teams around them. Um, I think losing the coach that they had last year has really been um, a, a painful loss for them. And I think we're seeing that with the results. Yeah, definitely. Um, up next, we have Sassuolo versus Genoa in a 1-1 draw. Yeah, um, yeah, they. Uh, this was this was a game that uh, that Genoa Genoa's been playing. They've been they, they've been a little inconsistent um, as of late. Um, uh, but this is a game that uh, I think they'll be fairly happy with. Um, you look at Sassuolo. I mean. I'm not a numbers person, but when when the numbers are so lopsided um, as they were in this game, I mean, uh, uh, Sassuolo had 28 shots, seven on target. So just for comparison, Sassuolo had more shots on target than Genoa had in the entire game. Um, so Genoa, I think, for a large part, were just they score early with um, Destro, and they kind of keep that. They, they, they're keeping it cool, at least as far as the way they've approached the game. And then um, in the second half, you know, most of the game, Sassuolo was the better team. Berardi uh, scores a goal. Um, but they had, they had multiple opportunities to score before that, and they had, they had several opportunities to score after that. Um, some of it's due to selfish play. Some of it's due to just circumstances. Um, but I think from my viewpoint on this, Sassuolo definitely, without question, should have scored more goals. And they're the ones who should feel unfortunate with the situation where Genoa, um, they had barely had the ball. They had 25% of the, ball, the possession. So they barely had the ball. They barely had a shot. They were lucky to probably score in the first place. And they, they escape out of here with a point. Again, they're in that area, too, with, with Calgalari and, and Spezia. They got 12 points. Um, Spezia is 16, and, and Calgalari is 13. So, again, on the opposite point of the last game, you look at this as they stole something because they were outplayed for, you know, 80, 80, you know, 80 minutes on the night, and um, they, end up, they end up surviving. Um, and they'll take this. I mean, it's going to be difficult. They haven't. They don't have a win in their last five, and it's only going to get more difficult from here. But being just being able to take a point in a game, they probably should have gotten. I mean, taking a point in a game, they probably shouldn't have got anything from. I think they have to take it some sort of morale thing. Or Sassuolo, who's who's doing pretty well this season, but they're just not the same with uh, Deserbi, who's in um, the Ukraine now. Um, but. I don't think it's panic for Sassuolo or anything. I don't think they're they're in that much of a threat of kind of getting dragged down. But so overall, I think Genoa's a fortunate point, I think, is something that Genoa should be happy about, where Sassuolo has to leave this with a disappointment, especially considering the chances that they created and the chances that they're unable to, to put in the back of the net. Yeah, this match, I was like, what the fuck, Sassuolo? I mean, they were definitely the stronger side out of the two. 
Um, obviously, the numbers um, this shows that aspect of it. But, I mean, it's one of those situations where Sassuolo should not have ha- I mean, yes, I understand some players on teams can be kind of selfish in that regard where they want to have all the glory of scoring the goals. But in my opinion, if you see one of your teammates wide open, it's just like where um I'm going to throw – for those who don't know me, I got into the show from my podcast partner, Elliot, a show called Head Less So. Um, it's where it kind of gives me that was Jamie Tart vibes in the beginning before he goes back to Man City and then learns how to work as a team to get the ball in the back of the net. So, yeah, I mean, there's times where you have to say, screw it, screw my glory. We need to get these goals in to get the points. And they just let their selfish egos get in the way. So it kind of worked in Genoa's favor. Obviously, they barely had any shots at all. But to be able to get a goal early on and to be able to defend the ball like they did, along with those mishaps by Sassuolo, they can't be mad at getting this point because they can, at this point, they're like in the bottom portion of the table too and they're scrapping every point they can get. So it just really reflects on how poor and how sometimes selfish ambitions get in the way from getting those results. Jamie Tart getting a mention. <laughs> That's wonderful. <laughs> I just, I'm like, I had to find an analogy for this. So I'm like, well, I think I've seen this episode of TLSO, so I might as well throw that out there. No, no, it's, it's good because you haven't seen um, season two yet. I actually, to be honest with you, I, I hated it because it. I, I liked some episodes and moments, obviously, from it. Um, and Ryan, me, me and Ryan are kind of the same here. They, they kind of pulled away from i'm not going to give anything away but they kind of pulled away from the whole concept after the the way the season season one ended but part of season two my favorite one of my favorite um um moments from season two is the redemption of jamie tart there's a lot of stuff that goes on he has to kind of win back everyone's trust and then in the last episode he does the most selfless thing that anyone has done in the entire show so that dynamic just because you haven't seen i just bringing this up is is very intriguing, although personally I think the the, sh- the 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 show and the writers got away about what season two was supposed to be about, and they put other things in there that I don't know. I'll be honest, I I, I hated a lot of the episodes of season two, but but the my but my favorite part of season two was the kind of J- Jamie Tart's redemption. I know this is unrelated, but I just I I, I throw it out there just because just since you mentioned it. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so anyway, we're going back to the topic, but don't worry, we're going to keep that in the episode because it sounded cool. Um, uh, the, Next up, we have Cagliari winning 2-1 against Sampdoria. Yeah, this this was important for Cagliari. They, they really, really needed this. Um, I don't know if there's any other way about this. They're at the bottom of the table. They're scraping for whatever they can get at this point. They hadn't had a win in their last five. Um, they really needed a performance. And um, 
you know, it didn't start well, <laughs> you know, uh, 18 minutes in, um, Gabadini, uh, for Sampdoria scores his six straight in, scores in his six straight game for them. Um, really looking well. And then it seemed like just all of a sudden after that, they just kind of mentally just weren't there. The, I mean, I don't need, you need to throw numbers out there after every game, but they didn't have a lot of chances. Um, you know, and, and Calgary looks kind of promising for the first time this season. They looked a- ambitious. They looked like a team that really kind of had uh, – not had their way with them, but they had confidence going through it. And you, you wouldn't think a team like this would have confidence since how – because they're in danger. They're in the bottom. Um, and, and, and that – and it might be a little mismanagement of why they're there because, I, as I said before, they have a lot of very good players that probably shouldn't be there anymore. <laughs> You know, um, but they so they they concede early, then they chip away in the second half. Um, and they, uh, you know, I can't pronounce the dude's name, but but they score. Uh, Raz von Marin with the assist. Sorry, I have to throw that in every single time he does anything. <laughs> um, so he, he um, sets up a beautiful ball, uh, strike, strikes it, makes a save, and then uh, puts away the rebound. Um, celebrates and as he's celebrating there's like white doves flying above him it was it was like a really funny image uh, it was interesting imagery there um and but you know they they need more um and they get it with uh pavelotti scoring uh the second um and uh and they kind of just hold it down for the end uh they nearly have a third when uh Raz von Maren puts out a beautiful ball um, on, on the counterattack, a really um, fantastic way of, of, I don't know how to explain it, it like taps it at a, 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 a soft touch that puts, um, I don't remember who it was, but in a perfect position to score and they weren't able to capitalize, but but they look good. Um, I think they haven't looked this good in, in since um, since the Roma game, <laughs> which I don't really want to talk about, but, um, but that, that it seems like, this is the type of win that they can they can feel um, something special about it because they're playing against a team that's also near the bottom of the table. And unlike Spezia, Calgary was able to to identify that and, and keep it moving. Yeah, I mean, this was definitely the, a must win for Cagliari. And um, this was a really shocking performance on the part of Sampdoria. Good also, God. I forgot to mention your boy, uh, Andrea, got a red card at the end for something stupid, but I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to go into that too much. Kandreva, dude, what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, yeah, I mean, in general, um, this was def- obviously Cagliari knew how to exploit some of Sampdoria's weaknesses. Obviously, they don't have the strong team that we've seen when well i have to go based on what i know but like when in the 20 i would say 2016 there, one okay well, let me let me stop you there there was one year where they were exceptional that was oh god i i don't remember it was maybe two three years ago that was when um no that was that was ronaldo's first year in, in syria and uh that was when uh, Fabio Coriella won the uh, Golden Boot, and that was the year Zabata was just unconscious. Uh, and I think that was the Icardi um, situation as well. Um, oh, it yeah. was, I think it was that season because I remember Coriella was was the, was the um, Golden Boot, and 
you and me kind of said, why did they give the player of the year to Ronaldo? That was the year that Zabata scored against all of the big six in every single game and had like 28 goals in all competitions. They knocked Juventus out of the um, Copa Italia and all that stuff. So that was that year. That year, you, that year, Sam Doria finished eighth, but they were on par to sort of making the top six, maybe. Um, the, the then, then it's been the basically relegation survival type team for the last couple of years, except last year that I think they played pretty well under Ranieri those couple of years, but it was, it's been a little, um, they haven't been a great team in several years. But yeah, so in general, um, but good job to Cagliari on figuring out how to exploit the weaknesses and taking advantage of those opportunities that were given to them. Cause a lot of your lower, and obviously this team will do whatever it takes to survive, but it's going to be a difficult battle. Um, but I mean, th- if they continue with this momentum, they should have no problems get doing what getting out of that relegation zone, like we saw last season, and really maintaining that position in Syria. Oh, good God, if I could talk today, please. <laughs> but yeah, um. But, yeah, it was a good result for Cagliari, and hopefully they're able to maintain the, that momentum. Yeah, but it's, it's going to be difficult because they're still, they're still three points out of the safety, and they still got a long way to go. But, but I think something that you can kind of look at as far as the teams, among the teams that could be relegated, I think they have the best player among the bottom tier teams, which is a good thing to have, especially when you need a moment of magic. And I think we saw that um, from the Romanian today or not. It wasn't today. Um, yesterday. And so up next, your best friend Lazio versus Empoli in a three, three draw. Oh, this was such a good game, man. This is such a good game. I it, the, the drama, the intrigue, all of this, sort of happening all at once. Um, you know, Empoli looked like they're going to steal one. This was, this was just, this was just a, a game of the highest order. Um, you look at how poorly Lazio started. Um, you, you look at this huge mistake by the goalkeeper. They give away a penalty in the like fourth minute. They score. And then Empoli scores again. It, it looks like it's just going to be a nightmare. Um, and then, obviously, I, I think a Mobile – um, if I'm not mistaken, I'm going to switch check this. I'm pretty sure Mobley scored the, um, the, the goal to kind of get them back. Yep. He did. Um, so they sc- so Empoli scored in the sixth and the eighth minute and then a Mobley got, got one back and, um, it looked like, uh, they had kind of momentum going. Malinkovic Savage was especially good in this game and it seemed like they were going to push into sort of getting, um, coming back and getting, um, when maybe, uh, they were the much better team to me. They, I mean, the, they had ten shots on target. So that I mean, that shows you at least they're 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 attacking really at a high level, especially in this game. Um, and not like I have want to say anything nice about them, but but and then uh, and then you know it's it's um, sorry and then uh, um, sorry um, Savage scores to have it all tied up at two two. Um, and it looked like they had now they were in position to go through and then with 15 minutes left Empoli score again and it's like it's nightmare city right because now they they started horribly then they played well and they were right there and now they're in trouble again and then <laughs> believe it or not um 
uh, Immobile gets a penalty with not much time left, right, and misses it. It gets blocked. The goalkeeper make, that makes the save, and then in stoppage time, and like, and the, the last couple of minutes, Malinkovic Savage comes through the air and just just and manages to get the uh, an equalizer at the very end. And I think the most impressive thing about this, and it, it was not a very good performance by their standards, but the the fact that they got a penalty uh, blocked, saved, whatever, and then five minutes later they score the the equalizer. I think it's huge. Again, again, you you do not want to drop points like this to Empoli, even though Empoli is a really good side. But the fact that they got something from this at all is huge, considering how poorly they started. In the eighth minute, they were down two 0 and they end up getting a draw. I think that that. Again, as much as I don't like them, I think the way they, they responded to that, especially in the second half, uh, they deserve their point, even if it is just one. Yeah. Um, just, every, just so everybody knows, Malinkovic Savage is still my favorite Lazio player, even though I don't like the colors he wears. But anyway, um, yeah, definitely a great rally from Lazio. Uh, in regards to having a 2-0 deficit to coming back and securing a point. That just shows that they're a team that is also resilient. Um, obviously, they're a, one of the more, I would say, inconsistent teams. Yeah, in, they're, in the, they're in inconsistent the as hell. They're yeah. not very good, but <laughs> it's just but it's, it's, it's a really good team. Yeah, they do what it takes to at least get a spot sometimes in the Europa League. But there, as they say, always the bridesmaid, never the bride. Um, it's just one of those situations where it was they just dug down deep inside themselves and really fixed those early mistakes and made the charge to get a draw out of this. Obviously, Empoli is a strong, is a decent side this season. I actually was hoping that they would stay in Syria a little bit longer. Because they, 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 they were one of those teams that I had fallen in love with when they, I saw them the first time. So I'm like, yes, finally they're, they're doing decent and making those moves whenever possible. And they're continuing to show why they're deep inside this season. And hopefully it keeps up and we they have a little bit more of a stay in Syria than we saw the last time they were here. Yeah, and just just to let you know, they were only a few points behind Lazio. So even though uh, Empoli got promo- promoted this season, they're not they've been the promoted team that's done the best and it's not even close. Um, so you look at this situation, right? They are if the season ended today, they would just miss Europe. And I'm not, I'm not sure how the Conference League works. I don't know if they take eight and nine or just eight. But we're, they're in a situation now where they could make Europe this season. And if, even though, you know, teams like Inter Milan, teams like Roma, teams like uh, Atlanta, they're, the teams, the bigger teams in the, in the division or whatever you want to call it, um, will sneeze at the, the, at the Conference League until the knockout rounds. Because they're a, these are clubs that have done stuff at a high level. Um, 
Alonso was not the right, a good example there because they've never um, even won a trophy, at least in a really long time, even though they're, they're a great team. But Roma, Lazio, um, AC Milan, Juventus, um, Napoli, all of these teams have won big trophies in Italy. Many of these teams have done well in Europe. So for, for, for the Conference League to, to, to those teams – they don't care about it because it is it is above it's beneath them basically. For Empoli, if they could if they make the Conference League, they would they would throw a party. You know what I mean? So for for them, that is an ambition that I think is going to continue to push them throughout uh, the the rest of the season, just like it was for um, Union Berlin, who made Europe for the first time ever last year in the Bundesliga on the last day of the season. So I think that's something they're going to have their eye on as they progress because they're not getting relegated. They're not making the Europa League or above, but they could make um, – they very well could make Europe this season, which I think will be huge for a team that just came up. We have another draw, Juventus versus Napoli in a 1-1 draw. Yeah, um, this was a very good game um, from both sides. Um Napoli's team should have been depleted. There are a few players that probably shouldn't have played. Um, I don't want to really comment or say anything more than that, but but there was there was there was some controversy surrounding all of that. Um, but they, I think both teams played well. Um, I, th- I think Juventus really are the ones that kind of uh, stung out in this game. But but Napoli had those moments early, um, and they were they were able to get that goal, but um, from uh, Mertens. Another player that could be on the on the way out, um, maybe at the end of the season, PSV seemed to be interested in bringing him back to to um, Holland. Um, but you know, he is another goal for him. He continues to add numbers to his, um, I mean, record setting um, goal scoring record at, at Napoli. Um, and then uh, the return of Federico Chiesa coming in um, and as Juventus continue to push and push and push and then Chiesa returns and bangs one into the bottom corner to equalize it. And then it was, it was a little back and forth, but I thought Juventus had all the best chances. Um, they probably should have scored in the early going before Napoli even went into the lead through McKinney um, who visibly understood the, the bottle of his, um, you know, of, of not being able to score early. Um, again, he, he played well. It's just that moment was turned out to could have been really important. Um, and then, you know, you look forward to, to the second half and, and um, the ball comes on and it, he almost scores from, from outside of the area code. Um, but goalkeeper manages to, to handle it and even just push and push and push and happily do, do a little bit here, a little bit there. Um, but I, I thought Juventus played well in this game. Um, defensively, they, they were able to handle the firepower of Napoli's attack at, at many moments from unlikely sources. And they were able to handle themselves. But then again, um, they didn't do quite enough to finish. Moise Keane had a great chance at the end. and They can't, they can't stick it in the back of the net to, to get all the points. Um, and, and But I think... I think both will be semi-satisfied with the the points that they were able to collect um, from the from the game. And um, again, it's always always a big game, always a lot of tension, a lot of flaring, uh, all that kind of stuff. Um, but they they split points. Um, uh, but I think Juventus come comes away from that performance with a little bit more um, optimism, unfortunately. 
<laughs> yes, definitely. Unfortunately for that, but um, Juventus had forty-four percent possession and twenty-two chance, twenty-two shots, five on target. So, I mean, they, despite the lack of possession, they had majority of the chances, and a lot of them were squandered. Um, but this is a team that will dig down, also dig deep in themselves and do what is needed to make a comeback. And they did just that. Yes, it's not the result that they wanted because they wanted all three points. But against Napoli, who is also a decent team, when they're on a hot streak, it's one of those games that, to be honest, I look forward to looking at because you never know how the match is going to go because these two teams will fight to the nail throughout the whole entire match. Um, Federico Chiesa got the equalizer, and it's great to see him back. Um, And obviously, Napoli continues to maintain their position. um, For now. For now. Obviously, um, but overall, this was definitely a great match. But Juventus come out of this match with a little bit more optimism, sadly. Um, but both of these teams got a point, and ha- they move on to next weekend. Uh, before you um, before you move on, I have a bold proclamation on Juventus. Um, the Juventus second half of the season. You ready? Okay, should I be sitting down for that? You, you can hold me to this. This is going to be a very unpopular opinion. I think Juventus will finish second this season. I think you'll win the title. I think they'll finish in second. Because you look at how they're able to manage these situations. You look at the, the winning mentality that they clearly have. They're the opposite of AC Milan and the Apples of Napoli. They, they, there have been many years where they've started slowly and will climb the table. And we know... Um, Max Allegro is a ding dong, but but I think they're only going to ride this momentum. I'm, I'm, I mean, this is just this is just facts. I don't I don't want to have to say this, but on on Sunday they'll beat Roma. There'll be more points to to collect, and they'll just be waiting in the wings for Napoli or AC Milan to drop points and drop out. And Napoli and AC Milan. Not historically, but over the last several years, always fold under pressure. And if they know Juventus is back there breathing down their neck and things collapse, you just do, you know, it's just going to, it's a difficult thing for those ty- those two teams to deal with. Uh, and, and to to go further than that, the reason they'll get second is because they'll catch a grip, uh, little momentum. Chiesa is back. He'll go up into a level. Dabala will, will, I think um, in the next couple of weeks we'll really start to turn it on. They'll put everything together, and they'll they'll you'll think they're out of it. You'll think that they're not coming back. But there was a time where we thought they wouldn't even sniff the Champions League. Open your eyes now; they're three points out. So if you look at that, they can def- they're definitely making the Champions League. One of these teams is dropping. I don't know who it is. I would say it's not Alonso, and, and I don't think it's going to be Inter. But they can steal this spot, and and I, I think ultimately they can finish second again. 
I don't emotionally, it doesn't make a difference to me whether they finish second, third or fourth or fifth, really. Um, <laughs> because they're, they're not really, my team's not going to be making the champions league. So them making, it doesn't do anything to me, but I do think that they'll end up in second. Ooh, I like that. I feel it as they would say. It's possible. You have to think of Juventus and what the what the the history. I mean, if you take out the scandal of what the recent history has has told us, so I think there's a the real shot. And I think anyone who doesn't watch the league thinks that Juventus are dead. And uh, trust me, turn on the television and watch some Italian football. You'll see that they're not. Yeah, most definitely. Uh, well, I was being nice, getting all the other matches out of the way and leaving the worst for last. Milan beating you guys 3-1. What? There was a game yesterday? <laughs> Roma, oh. did, Roma wasn't informed. <laughs> All right, let, let's get this out of the way. All right, we, we know that the referee from, from the game yesterday was suspended. But, if, if again, the thing is, <laughs> you, can, you cannot, you cannot blame the official um, every time, uh, not every time, but you cannot blame the official in a situation where your, you know, Roma was the second best its team by far. Never had a chance to win. They never had a chance to win. So I don't, don't give me, uh, oh, this, this shouldn't have counted or this should have been this way. And then obviously uh, Roma Lupe on, on Twitter saying uh, match fixing and tagging stuff. It is just, it is absurd because we were shit. We had two people sent off. And AC Milan, who were depleted, were still way better than us. So when you look at all of those things collectively, do not blame the official. If, if, the thing is, if you knew, lose narrowly, if you play well and lose because of some dodgy decisions, okay, you can, you can talk about the official. But if, you're, if you are battered, if you are crushed and humiliated and you, play like, you played – Awful. If you had an awful performance, you cannot bring up the officials, even if there should have been 10 penalties. I don't care. So now that's out of the way. Um, Roma did not play well. It started as badly as you probably possibly could have. And it is mostly everything that happened is our fault. So the controversial thing at, at hand is a penalty on Ab Abraham. Um, at first glance, it does not look like a penalty. But then you, ha you have to think to yourself, okay, if it's not a penalty and it, it doesn't connect the way a, a handball would, but what is he doing? And that's the, that's the thing that kind of comes to mind. And he's trying – he's not trying to get out of the way. He's trying to get into the way. So if he is attempting to get into the way of the shot, then because it, it grazed his hand or his arm, whatever – then you have to call it as a, as a penalty. I didn't want to concede a penalty in the first 10 minutes or whatever it was, but that, that's just the way it is. You can't twist things around and, and flip them. Um, so that, that was a penalty. Olivier Giroud scores. And then, um, um, and then obviously the huge mistake by Abanez, who decided to, to pass to a goalkeeper that wasn't there. <laughs> um, and then you put Rui Patricio in a, Horrible position. He can't do anything about it. Giroud hits the post, and then Junior Messiah scores um, the goal, and it's 2-0 already. And then, fortunately, Roma kind of gathers some momentum at the end of the half. Um, 
Pellegrini returns, hooks up with Abraham on on a touch. Um, Tammy is just scoring like a, a crazy person lately. Thirteen goals this season. Um, really uh, now surpassing Jekyll's numbers so far. <laughs> Not that that matters, but it's going to be talked about because it wasn't a swap, but it was, it's the replacement. So that's just going to be discussed regardless. Um, and then, then there's a little bit of a flare up at the end of the first half. Karsdorp and, and Theo Hernandez get into it. Karsdorp bleeds from the lip. Theo um, is, is given a yellow, yellow card. Karsdorp is given a yellow card. <laughs> Jose Mourinho runs onto the field and and like pulls back Tammy Abraham because he didn't want him to get sent off, uh, which I think was as, as much as we play like shit. I thought that was hilarious. <laughs> he's literally running on there to just just making sure he doesn't get involved because we know Tammy. He's gonna he's gonna defend his team and he and Karsdorp and him have a very close relationship as well. So he he was flared up by the situation and he was he was going after um, her. Uh, I don't remember who it was. He was he was he was talking and, and trying to get into people's faces. And Mourinho just comes in there and pulls him away because he doesn't want his, his striker to be uh, to get a, a second yellow. And then on the second half, um, Florenzi hits the post, um, nearly go down three, and then for like six to eight minutes, Moromo looked really good. They looked like they're on the verge of breakthrough. They, they're unable to do it. And then, obviously, Karsdorp gets sent off. That's sending off for a red card. Then shortly after, Horacio Leal scores a third. And then with five minutes or five, whatever, Milan were, were better than us the rest of the way. You go into these situations and you go forward. And then Mancini gets a yellow card in the 85th minute because the second one in the 90th minute Zlatan gets a penalty saved by Rude Patricio who only did the only thing that he did there is made us made it less humiliating and now Karsdorp and Mancini both unavailable for for all the match against Juventus which means we're, pro- we're going to talk about this in a minute but which means you'll probably have to start Maitland Niles who I think is arriving in the country tomorrow and then he might have to play on Sunday that's how, that's the situation we're in because those are two defenders. If two midfielders get sent off, you can deal with it. But two defenders, that that's a hard thing to manage, especially considering we play a, we play a back three. So it's it's a complicated situation. And Karsdorp, I get him for the first part because he was getting into it with Hernandez. He gets a yellow card there. Even in the second one, it wasn't a smart decision by him. But he's not someone that really gets booked. So I don't mind him for, for being aggressive. Mancini is always getting sent uh, – not sent off. He's always getting yellow cards, right? So you look at that situation. He got one in the 85th minute. He should know that he gets one more. He doesn't play against Juventus. Not only was that, it was a bad tackle, and people try to argue this one. I No, it was, it was a bad tackle. He deserved a second yellow. You cannot get two yellow cards in the space of 10 minutes when you have Juventus so. – in three days' time, which is bullshit, but we have them in three days' time. Even if it's at home, we had a small chance of winning that regardless. Now there's no chance. And all we ha- we're going to have to just hope it doesn't get ugly um, and things like that. And it was, it was a bad performance, and it's not that we, we played badly because we did. It was like the mis- it's the same mistakes over and over and over again. And this situation is a project for Mourinho. It's going to take time. He's going to need to get more players in that are more equipped for this team to, to sort of bring winning ways to, to Roma. Um, but if we, we're going to do that, we can't keep making the same errors over and over and over again. We have to, at some point, learn from our mistakes and make sure not to make them again. 
Rui Petri's show is putting in being put into a vulnerable position far too many times this season. And this is why you could argue that he's been the best goalkeeper this year, considering what he's had to deal with on a, a regular basis. So it was a whole lot of mess. AC Milan with that team winning is brilliant. I think they've been a little inconsistent as of late, but I think that gives them sort of a little extra push. Again, I, I still think they have a lot more to prove before anything is, is decided and whether they're going to really be involved in the title race, even though it's, it's only a couple of points. But huge for Milan. But uh, I think you look at this as Roma's uh, lack of discipline with the two red card, yellow cards and the mistakes that led to many of the goals. Yeah, it's just an unfortunate situation for Roma. Obviously, you had the red card, all the drama. Man, did I hear there was actually blood in this? There was two red cards. Uh, uh, Karsdorp's lip got bloody. I don't know um, how it got bloody. (laughs) I was trying to figure it out. Um, And if you don't know me, um, if there is a biased announcer – Doing the game, I will not listen to it with sound on. I actually listen to many games without the sound at all. Um, and so I, I, I like Matteo Benetti as a um, not an announce, not a not an announcer, a pundit. I like his. I think his intelligence is extremely high level. I think he's he's excellent. He knows what he's talking about. He knows his stuff. So it's no shade whatsoever. But when he's um, when he's announcing or when he's doing one of the one uh, serial games, I don't listen to the sound because I think far too many times he's, he's, he clearly has a preference based on his commentary. So, so I didn't even listen to what they were saying because I was listening to the sound, but, but there was, there was scuffle in the beginning of the game. There was a scuffle at the end of the game. Lots of stuff happened um, and so on, but, but the drama is a drama fueled. Welcome to the newest soap opera, Syria. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, just an unfortunate, like I said, an, an unfortunate situation for Roma. They've just been struggling lately, and I don't know what you guys do to go to help you go forward. But just Milan were definitely the stronger team in this match, and ugh, I have to talk positive about them. Ew. But yeah, it. I mean, Milan performed like they would normally, and it's obviously they've been inconsistent lately. Now that's the downside. But if you're an Inter supporter, keep it up. But it's like one of those things where you have to just. They will have to use the next few weeks to really um decided they're going to continue and maintain their position in the title race or will one of the other teams jump up and finish second. Obviously, I actually kind of back your prediction with Juventus just based on the past history alone. I think a couple years ago they had a rough start, but then they got hot and just killed it. Yeah, it smells like it doesn't. You just feel it in the air. It's like Something smells like bullshit, and it usually it's is. like when they were fourteen, and, and we were all laughing at them. And then you know, and then they lost to this one team, and we were laughing at them. And then for the last week, we haven't been paying attention. They just been picking up points. So I don't know. It's it's a tough one. I think um, as far as Milan trying to to get if, if they want to join the title race, and even though it's a few points, I still don't consider them part of it. I think you're firmly in control. 
Milan needs to make a huge statement in the transfer window in the next month if they really want to elevate themselves into it. If they if they if they grab a huge deal, it could ch- it could potentially rock the boat a little bit and maybe put some pressure on. But um, I, I I don't see a way that you don't win the league. I think it really it's, it might be close, but I think it's really going to depend on who who gets in second and. Juventus just seems like a more plausible explanation at this point. Yeah, so, I mean, this pretty much covers the match portion. So, I will hand it over to you for the rest of the episode. All right. Um, let's see. Where should we start? Um, um, all right. Um, before we get into the absurdity of Lorenzo Insigne... <laughs> And I, I still can't believe that. We'll get into that, um, and I'm sure we'll be talking about it because that's how ridiculous it is. Um, so the thing you, know, you have referred to, uh, um, uh, Samir Handanovic, multiple times as, as Butterfingers because sometimes when you shoot it at him, it just goes through his hands. Um, and, and I think you have an Inter fan know how great he's been. For, for, you know, ever since you've been a fan. And for the most part, it's been very, very positive. Um, but the problem remains. You look on the bench. Who do you have? You have someone who's older than him. And um, <laughs> I forgot the guy's name. He came from uh, Bologna, I think. Uh, but he's almost the same age. You have Radu, who I know what colors he wears on his, his jersey when he plays for the national team. But he's not good enough. But it seems that there is a situation here where the, the, the solution has been answered. And oh, that, no. and again, this is not going to be publicly. The reason we're talking about it now is because it's, we're, this is something that's going to be known for, for, for many months. It is, it is publicly acknowledged that he has verbally agreed to join. Um, and I'm talking about um, um, uh, the IX goalkeeper, um, Onana? Yeah, Onana, sorry. I, I, I forgot to write his name down. I didn't want to butcher it. That's right. Um, who, who, um, who's with Ajax, who's an who's Ajax goalkeeper when they went to the semifinal. Um, it's been verbally agreed um, that he's, he's going to be joining Inter Milan. It cannot be announced until his contract runs out. Um, so no, no, um, no charge necessary here. Um, so you get him for free. Um, obviously, this means... Next season, you'll probably have a different starting goalkeeper. Although, if Houndanovic still continues to play, maybe he does some of the cup games and stuff like that. But um, obviously, this has been something that, that has been on your mind way before anybody else has even, had even suggested it um, because he had a dodgy uh, – last year he was good, but the year before he was kind of uh, rocking the boat a little bit. Um, but going into sort of that situation, now that you find a solution to the – now that you have the answer to the question – um, I don't know. What do you feel about it? And I, I know him well, so if you have any questions for me about him, I can answer them. I, based on what I've seen from him, um, through the different your like matches I've been able to see with Ajax, he is a very good goalkeeper, and I think have finally securing a replacement keeper is just a weight off my shoulders knowing that we're getting someone younger someone who's consistent obviously 
there it'll take him some time to get used to our system and how the Italian football works. But he, I am just excited for this deal because it finally means that Samir Handanovic could be either I don't know if he's going to retire or if where he's going to move to. But it's just nice to finally have that backup keeper that Inter had been wanting for so long. Yeah, um, and the thing is, I would actually recommend um, <clears throat> um, the great Uncle Charmin, who's a um, who's a YouTuber, Inter Milan based YouTuber that follows me on Instagram. Just saying, um, <laughs> he has a he has a um, um, just just search his name on YouTube and. Uncle Charmin, he has an interview with, um, not with him, but with an Ajax fan. Um, and it's, I think it's a half hour conversation and they're basically, he's asking questions about him. And also they're, they're just, they're having a conversation of what, uh, what he brings to Inter Milan and the, the types of the systems that he's played. Uh, some, the highlight, the highlights of, of his, um, um, situation the low low lights obviously there's the doping controversy uh, he took uh, do you know the story at all no so he, apparently he, he was suspended because he took this drug um that it's not even it's not even like a, a hard drug it's a drug about um anyway it's, it's a drug that's banned his wife takes it he accidentally took his wife's drug i think that's possible it also could be bullshit um but I think you have to go into the situation with a lot of positivity. Anyway, you should watch an interview because I think he does a really good job. And the, and the IX fan that's talking to him does a really good job of explaining it. Um, but I think it gives you a safe pair of hands and goal. It's something that you now don't need to worry about. It's probably going to be a five-year deal. So for the next five years, you, have, you don't have to worry about a thing. And the fact that you're getting him. So he's probably – his approximate value is probably like $40 million. You don't have to pay anything. So you're getting him for free, which is, I think, a huge deal. He's a, he was in the uh, La Masia Barcelona system as a kid. Um, he provides a lot, and he's, he's done extra, exceptionally well with Ajax. And I think he's exactly what Inter need going forward. Um, and, again, you're already the best team. But having a, a, someone who's, who's more of a safety net and goal will obviously be a huge, a huge deal going forward. All right. Um, speaking of which, um, so this is kind of a two-parter. We're going to stay on the Inter Milan theme uh, just because I've been doing a lot of talking. Um, with this arrival, there's a potential departure um, in potentially in the cards. Your boy, um, at least for now, Stefan de Vrij, has, there has been a roadblock in the negotiations of a new contract. He has a deal expiring in July and June. Um, and... Um, Starting now, he is available to um, to depart at the at this summer. Um, so Devry could be leaving the San Siro Inter Milan world. <laughs> um, obviously, someone who's been there a long time, a couple several years. Someone that's been important for Inter for several years. Um, what are your thoughts on on that that potential? Um, situation because it doesn't seem there's a solution to the contract situation um if there if he ends up leaving at the end of the season um it's gonna be hard but i do wish him best wherever he ends up at that point um 
So I have no ill will against him, and I'll probably I'll keep an eye on him wherever he ends up. But Inter, depending on the financial situation and everything, should have no difficulty finding a replacement. But it would suck to see him go since he has been a pivotal part of this Inter team for several seasons. And he is one of the more consistent gold, I mean, consistent center backs we've had. Um, so it would be difficult to find somebody of that caliber. But either way, no matter what happens, I'll still support him wherever he goes and wish him, none the, wish him the best. So, so what you're saying is you'd like a younger version of him. That's the same caliber and maybe better, right? Is that what yeah. you're – all right. Remain calm. <laughs> there's, a, there's a report out there that you could get sort of a – it's not a swap, but you won't even have to pay for the, the incoming – I so, know who you're talking about. Matthias Ginter. Yeah! <laughs> yeah! I can't remember. You're not the only one who can sign him for free, but he seems to be keen on the move. There's a, there's a little bit of – I got a little intel on on uh, potentially if he could move um, – because I know I, I, I have a friend who – who who has who's I'm not going to – I can't really say what, but has some, some information in, in German circles. And he told me that I asked him if if there was a if there was a possibility that he could that he could move before next summer, and he basically said it's not going to happen. Um, Gladbach aren't going to take any extra fee on him; they're going to just let his contract run out, um, and they'll probably try to uh, extend his contract one more time. But he's already turned it down. Um, so Matthias Ginter does seem to be the most most logical solution to fixing the problem. Um, and, and, and so on and so forth. So obviously it's an interesting one because your favorite German side and your favorite Italian side are about to do some little business. It seems like they're going to be doing some business here. If you, and again, this is only speculative at this moment. If you were able to sign Matthias Ginter, how, how do you feel about that? And do you, do you think DeVries even a loss at that point? First of all, how do I see this? I see this as a win-win. If he doesn't, if they're able to re-sign, obviously it's not looking like he's going to no, he's, sign he's, the contest. He's already said that he's not, he's not coming back next year for, for Gladbach. But signing Matthias Ginter, he's basically going from my side dude to my husband <laughs> team. So, I mean, it, it, he's young. He's um, a very good defender. I, I mean, he helped with today's success against Bayern Munich in their 2-1 win. So, obviously, he's a very, he's a solid center back. And if we were to make, get, finally seal the deal, I would be absolutely thrilled. But in regards to DeFry, I mean, at that point, it doesn't really become a loss because you have Ginter, who's younger, and could provide Inter with many more seasons. So, in general, I really see this as a plus either way. If DeVry stays, awesome. If Ginter comes, awesome, because we're getting somebody who could give us more seasons. 
So there's just a lot of things rolling around in my mind. <laughs> I mean, it's unlikely, but you could keep him and still get Ginter. Because Inter's intentions is still to sign Ginter for free, or on the free, whatever. Um, but DeVry could be – they could deal with it. Um, but it, d- it does seem like he does want the Premier League. That's what it seems like, at least from, from the way I'm, I'm looking at it. I think he wants Premier League football, and I think that's what will happen. Um, I'm guessing Liverpool, Chelsea, Arsenal, um, Man, Man City maybe. I don't know. One of Chelsea, one of the big teams are probably going to come in for him. If not, you know, you could look at – he could be in the La Ligas. But the thing is DeVry is only going for an absolutely top-level team. Um, I, would, I would say it's unlikely he stays in Italy. Um, but I think there, there will be a departure. Um, but if you get Ginter in replacement, I think that's, that is, um, um, perfect. Um, all right. Um, I'm going to keep the firestorm that Lukaku started, um, for the very end. Um, all right. Now let's, there's some Roma stuff here and I'll, I'll probably do that real quick, but I'm going to, let's talk about the ins- in, insane insignia. <laughs> um, this, okay. You, I think you already know what I'm talking about here, but, um, Lorenzo Insigne, um, in his prime, one of the best players in the league, um, is about to leave. Not for Barcelona, no. Not for Real Madrid. Not for Bayern Munich. <laughs> not for Atletico. Not for Liverpool. Not for Chelsea. For Toronto Football Club in the MLS. Uh, I, the, the wages they're paying him are going to be insane. I think he's going to make 11, he's going to net 11 million a year. Or something like that, which makes him, I think, the second highest paid Italian in the world. <laughs> but from a from a um, ambition standpoint, I'm just confused. Um, what were your thoughts when you when you um, when when you heard about the news? Well, actually, this is breaking news to me right now. Actually, so oh, you didn't know about it? Okay. I didn't know about this. So, um, well, damn, uh, I really don't know what to say about this, but. I mean, he's a good quality player, and if the Toronto is willing to pay him these insane wages, it, it, I don't see why not. And it will give Toronto a huge boost, and would be nothing but the, uh, I guess, success for Toronto at that point, because having former European footballers joining the MLS. Sometimes it's worked, sometimes it hasn't worked, but in this case, I think it would work because Insigne has, it still has a lot to offer. So to them, it would be a per- perfect signing at the right time. Obviously, for them, it makes total sense. You want to be ambitious. You have Ryan's favorite player, Michael Bradley, there. You can't, I'm just kidding. No, actually, that's, he really is still there. Um, but you you bring in Insigne, uh, who goes into that league as the best player, and it's not even close. He could go there and do this Zlatan thing and come back to Europe, maybe. We don't know the whole ambition behind it. They're also after Andrea Bellati, who could be interested and has a contract expiring. So we don't know what's going to happen there. But, but from Toronto's perspective, I 100% get it. It makes sense. They want a, a game changer, and he goes into that league as the best player. But from Insigne's perspective, um, I, 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 have a, I have a strange – it's strange processing. If you take the money part out, 
he could make he could, maybe he can't make that 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 the sum of money that he's getting paid, but he can make close to that and go to and play in the Champions League. From an ambition standpoint, where where do you land on this um, ordeal? Um, in what ordeal again? Sorry, I missed that. From ambition, from an ambitious standpoint, um, what wh- what do you see from his uh, from his you know not from the, from that point of view? And do you think that this hurts Italian football at least a little bit? I think his ambitions would should still be in European football. But if a team in the MLS is willing to pay enough money for him, uh, I would be excited to have a chance to prove yourself in America, even though he really has nothing to prove because of the success in, the pa- in European football in the past. But mm-hmm. does this really hurt Italian football or European football in general? Absolutely not. It's nice to see these Obviously, some of these older players who there. I mean, obviously, there's certain footballers who definitely should retire after as they get older. But there are some people like Vlatan who will be playing until he's fossil fuel. But you know, he'll be 150 by the time he retires. <laughs> exactly. But there are still some f- older footballers who still can still have a lot to offer, and. Uh, the MLS is a perfect way to continue your the rest of your career, and then you just fizzle into the night, as they say. So, okay, uh, let me ask you this: Would you rather play for Real Madrid making nine million, or play for for Portland Timbers and make eleven? I'd That's my play point. At that you point, if, at that point, I would probably want to still stay in European football, but. If the offer's there and you're it, and nobody else is making any like inquiries, definitely consider that move. Yeah, I, I think you you just have to look at it from that point. And I just I think it's absurd because he he's not 36. He's like 30, I think. He still has several high productive years left. Um, but anyway, but also this could totally demoralize Napoli for the next couple of years, which would be interesting to see them have the mighty fall, which I would enjoy watching from a distance. Um, but um, I, I think I think this is just an absurd move as far as ambition. His ambition still be should be trying to be the best footballer he can be. Um, and the national team, are they, are they going to take Insigne playing in the MLS? And I, I, I'm just not totally sure on that. And uh, so Insigne, if, go get your chicken, as, as, um, as Marshawn Lynch says. Um, go get your chicken. But, but at the same time, from a competitive standpoint, I would, I just would have hoped that that ambition to to stay in the league, to continue to sort of or go to a, a, the Premier League or Bundesliga or whatever. I think that that's that's better for his legacy. At some point, I think he he has the ambition that that's there. It just isn't what I thought it was. So it's more of that. I think it's an absurd move from from his perspective, but not from Toronto. Toronto should fucking try to go in and get what they want. Um, all right. Um, I'm just going to talk about this and you just give your, your, um, your point of view. Um, I kind of mentioned this already, but um, Maitland Niles joining, uh, going to Roma on loan. Um, um, I sorry, the, the, the sorry, d- done deal. It's happening. He'll be in in the in Italy soon to, with his um, English speaking 
teammates, Tammy Abraham and Chris Smalling, um, maybe makes appearance against you, Juvent- against Juventus. He might have to, um, considering how how things are um, and all that. Um, I think this is a good de- good deal. Rick Karsdorp has played mutually every minute this entire season, not counting getting, getting sent off yesterday. <laughs> That's basically the only uh, uh, um, breather that he's had all season. Because Roma just don't have anyone in that position. Um, I think Niles, who wants, wants to play first-team football, no buy option, but if he impresses, maybe Roma will negotiate. Um, I think it's highly possible. I don't think Roma make this deal if they're not looking for at this long term. Because as as I've said today, the, they have lots of problems and they need to start fixing them. Um, from your point of view, uh, uh, what are your thoughts on on Roma's uh, loan deal? Um, I think it's a great, op- good thing for um, him going forward to expand his. Um, what was what word am I looking for? Career? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, there we go. Let's just go with that. Because I can't even... <laughs> but yeah, um, yeah, it's just a great way for him to expand his career, learning different styles of football and everything. But I think for Roma, I would really keep, obviously keep an eye on him th- throughout the season and really see if there's potential for him to do something big at the club for the long term. And if you guys see that, say, hey, he did really well for us. Let's see if we can get him and permanently and see where it goes. Um, yeah. But if but if things don't work out, obviously the loan will expire. There's no obligation to buy. So then he'll just go back to the club which from which he came. Arsenal. So, uh, by the way, um, yeah, I agree. I think I I think when you sign a deal like this, you're still looking for long term intentions. You don't want to play just for six months and, and let them loose. Um, so you, you, I think you look at this from from all of this, and um, I think just like the Smalling situation, that deal started as a, as a loan and it ended up being a permanent deal. And hopefully, he, he impresses and is able to do that because I want we need depth in this team. I think we just need to start adding some play pieces. All right, now the, the the exciting news. I've been asking for a midfielder for for eons now. It's been a really long time. Um, they Roma were linked with Abubakar Kamara from Marseille, which I would have loved, but a little out of the price range. Uh, Marseille wanted thirty a uh, thirty million plus for him, um, who also has a contract expiring at the end of the season. So maybe. No, by that point, it would be impossible because you have to look at some of the other teams that are interested in him, like Manchester United, Bayern Munich, um, uh, a lot of the English teams and stuff like that. So, But, but an alternative here is is um, there's been a bust-up between the manager of Porto and Porto vice-captain Sergio Ol- Olive- Olivero. If you if you don't if you if the name doesn't recognize you, he's the dude who uh, who punked Juve in the Champions League last season. Was was dribbling all over the park and just running circles around everyone. Um, so he's he's potentially on the out um, now. And there, there's always been talks. He's he, he's basically given the green light. Um, the deal is progressing very quickly. It is expected to be completed by the end of the week. Um, end of next week, rather. 
Um, it's going to be a loan deal with a buy option of 15 million. He's 29 years old. That's an exceptional deal. And Roma will get the midfielder that they need right now. Um, from your point of view, uh, what, what do you think of the, that deal? Happy belated Christmas to you. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it's a great, it's great news for Roma who has been needing that midfielder for quite a while and the age, the plate he is and, and the amount you're going to be getting for him. Definitely a great deal. And I can't wait to see how Roma implements them going forward. If, if we sign him, I'll buy his jersey. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not even playing. This is exactly eventually (laughs) Uh, once I have money, whatever. Um, No, but this would be huge for Roman. This is exactly what they need. And the the midfield issues that we're having, I think he solves it because he's, he's just, he's a fantastic player. Um, All right. uh, Let's see before um, let's just spend not that long on this because this is, this is a rumor every 10 seconds, Um, but Mario Cardi potentially Juve um, on loan. Uh, do you th- do you think they need him number one or number two? Uh, uh, with this, with this, do you think this will solve their problems up front? Do they need someone like Icardi on the team? They, with what they have and stuff, as long as the team stays healthy and uninjured, I don't think they really do. But he would be a good backup option if the case is needed. And, I mean, would it solve their problems? It possibly could. But in hindsight, it's one of those things where they don't really need him. They just, first they, in order to really go, before they go after players to try to fix everything, they should really sit back and see what they do have and see if there's a solution with the the, the people that are already available to them on a weekly basis. Right. Sorry, let me cut you off. My, my, my rebuttal would be, would you rather have Marvel Cardi, somebody who has been, when he's given time, has been historic in front of goal, or Alvaro Morata, who's missed more chances than I have? <laughs> no, that's not true. Who misses chances quite frequently. Moise Keane's not really firing on target. I think this person, from my, my perspective, I think you bring Cardi in on a loan deal, no buy option, unless you really want one in there. You you allow him to come in, score some goals, um, maybe give confidence to, to the young strikers they have. Because at this point, it's like um, Federico Chiesa has to be, you know, Superman, Spider-Man, the, the, the guy with the hammer. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, he needs to be the everything. The guy with the yeah. hammer? Yeah, sorry, I don't do superhero movies. It was just it was a bad Four? reference. I should have Yeah, sorry. <laughs> um, sorry, my bad. Um, I don't watch superhero movies, so I don't really. I just know the the guy from the picture. <laughs> um, anyway, so basically, she has to, when he's healthy, has to be everything for them. It's, and Dabala chip in, and I think Acardi would be would be a nice uh, touch um, on loan deal only, no buy option because again, I don't know that the the impending. Um, um, conclusion of his divorce, if he's getting divorced, if it's, he's already been divorced, I don't know the situation. And as long as you bring the snake into the castle, um, I, I would hesitate. But I think for a six-month deal, I think it's perfect. All right. Um, uh, two, two, uh, two more things and then debate topic. A um, couple more things. Um, 
Uh, Julian Alvarez is a uh, River Plate uh, attacking midfielder. Tw- uh, 18 goals, 7 assists this season. Um, AC Milan is sniffing around. Um, he has a release cause of $20 million. If and then this just from from competitive standpoint, you wanting to win the title, if they were able to signal their intent with that, do you think they they would again not saying they beat you, but could they could they challenge you f- to the throne? I think based on that and the age that the player he is, definitely because you're they're finally at that point they would finally be adding younger talent to their roster. Which would help them keep their themselves fresh. Um, so if that were to happen, I think it would help them be able to contend for the Scudetto throughout more of the season. Where if they didn't sign them at all, yeah, I agree. Um, they're all, I mean, Man United are also interested in several others, but uh, Bayern, I mean, they're you know, there's always going to be teams that are going to be here, but but if Milan could pull this off, it'd be incredible for the league because he's a fantastic player to watch. Secondly, it could really push into Milan. And this season, I don't want you to win three in a row, I'd be okay with you winning another one just because I kind of want Jacko to win a tr- uh, the, the title just because, uh. Just because, and I like Mark. I like the team. I again, your manager's a crybaby and a little bitch, but <laughs> I, I think I Conte's football was was immaculate, and it was great that what he's been able to do um, within during those two years. But I think Inzaghi's football and the way Inter played this season had been really fun to watch, and it's it's just a great team. Um, even though he's a big crybaby. Um, but I think the, the style of football, they've, they've made a lot of great decisions, and that's why I don't think they're going to be making too many moves in uh, January. Um, but for that reason, I'd like to see um, Inter maybe win the title. Um, again, if Alonso or somebody, if if Alonso could come somehow do it, I prefer that. But but uh, I'm okay with them winning two in a row, not three though, because then the really obnoxious Inter fans are going to 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 really really show and pound on their chest, and they need to just go somewhere else. Um, Except me, because I have class of respect. <laughs> it's not it's it's not class or respect that I'm looking for. I'm when I say that I mean delusion. Um, all right. Uh, well, let's go, let's go through this one really quick, and then we'll talk about Lukaku's um, uh, forest fire. Uh, so, Vladovic, we know, fantastic player for Fiorentina. 21 goals, 21 assists last season. He's balling this year, top of the league in scoring. Um, so, Fiorentina have now signed. Um, remember uh, Piontek from back in the day? Oh, my gosh, yes. Oh, Lord. Salero's back, baby. <laughs> Um, he went to Berlin and, and hid under the bleachers and never did anything for them either. Um, uh, but the, who used to play for Milan, he's back. He's with Fiorentina on loan, um, which I'm excited to see because I don't know what happened to him in Germany, but maybe he can reshape himself a little bit because uh, he had a really difficult second season with AC Milan. They've also signed Kone, who you may not be familiar with, but is a striker from uh, Lille, who scored, I think, 14 goals last season or something like that. Um, so now they have – and remember, they already have Nico Gonzalez, who I think is a very good player. So you have Nico Gonzalez, you have Piontek, you have Kone and Vladovic, right? Those are four strikers. I don't think you're, you're, you're bringing two of those guys off the bench. So this tells me 
is somebody is coming in to cash in on, on the kid. Um, all I've heard recently is Atletico Madrid always interested in him um, because they bid like $70 million, But Arsenal are ready to step up the, the, the pursuit because they're, they can make the Champions League this season. Um, it's, I mean, I think it's a little easier in the Premier League outside of the, the, the big three or whatever. Um, but, but you go into the situation, you, you, I think somebody's going to come and get him. Um, so t- I guess I have two questions here. Do you think he's, he's, he's sold this summer? Or sorry, this, uh, this winter? And two, if he's not, do you think this team can play together with the four attackers? Part one, do I think he sold this winter? I don't think so, because not a lot of teams make a lot of... Obviously, there are some teams who make moves during this time, but most of your teams wait until the summer transfer window where there's a little bit more time to negotiate deals and stuff, unless there was already a deal kind of agreed to early on. So a lot of your teams are going to wait until summer to see where things are at and then proceed with caution on whoever they're going to get. Um, but do I think they can work with the four attackers? I think they can do it because I, they can alternate between the four of them and really keep their legs fresh so they're not relying specifically on this player and this player or that player and that player. They're able to just keep things rotated, and it would help them going forward at this point. Yeah, I, I think – I actually think it is going to happen because I think um, he's made his intentions clear. You know, he's he, – they, they, they offered him the largest contract in Fiorentina history. That's more than my, my boy uh, Gabriel, Gabriel Bastatusta. Um, sorry, I butchered his name. My bad. Um, um, so, if he's turning that down, I think the best time is to cash in him now because um, you just don't know what's going to happen the rest of the season. As far as whether this team can work, I think they're going to be a good team. I don't think you can co- coexist with four strikers unless you move someone to the outside. If you play Piontek solid minutes – I think it's difficult. Kone is going to get solid minutes. Nico Gonzalez is going to stay where he is. So him and Vladovic. So unless you move the formation or change that, I think it's difficult. But I do have a feeling it is going to be decided um, ultimately. But we'll see what that happens. This is this is a transfer story that's been that's been um, floating around for for months now. So it's, a, it's we're only going to continue. Hopefully, we'll get a final conclusion to the question. Um, but, uh, we'll see. Um, and I just, I, I know Arsenal's coming forward, but just don't sleep in La Liga. La Liga, I think La Liga, uh, is going to be the ultimate location. So if, if Arsenal come and get him, it will be done in the winter. If not, he's going to La Liga this summer. Um, all right. Uh, you already know all the quotes, the comments, whatever. What was your reaction to the, um, Lukaku, um, force fire? <laughs> That upset a lot of people. Man, I'm just going to flat out say it now. I have more pressing matters than dealing with this drama. So, in other words, I don't really give a fuck and no comment. All right. 
Only thing I'll say about this is the Chelsea fans were angry when he wasn't even talking about them. This is one of the most absurd thing from his comments. 99.8% of the comments was about Inter Milan and kind of the departure part. He, he, he mentioned like one thing about Chelsea and everybody's like, sell him. He's a traitor. <laughs> you know, when he wasn't even talking about you. Chill the fuck out. I, I totally respect that you don't answer. You're, you're, you're trying to win the title, all that stuff. I get it. But from the, just the way everyone's reacting, I think was absurd. He was barely talking about Chelsea at all. He was talking about Inter and, and sort of uh, how he left things um, and things like that. Um, but that's all I'll say. All right. <laughs> this debate topic is going to be – all right. All right. This is how it goes. So – we so we're in a situation. Okay, so so this this would never happen, and under any other circumstances, we're never wouldn't we'd never be in this space, right? So, just just for for, for the time being, right now, you're not a fan of anybody. The fan the fan card is, is is temporarily disabled. You can't access it until the end of this question. So I want you to answer this question as if you were a player. Okay, we're living in a world right now. Wait, who do you hate more, um, AC Milan or, or Juventus? Juventus. Okay. All right. You, you pl- you're playing for Juventus for 15 years. I'm playing for Lazio for 15 years. No, just, just to set the scene, no other club didn't offered you. You, you, play, you are playing and played for Juventus. I played for Lazio for 10 plus years, right? If you are in that situation as a player, you're a club legend. Everyone adores you. They sing your name. Uh, you know, Danielle number nine, whatever, whatever the fuck, right? And they sing the same for me. As a player, in that, in that situation, that scenario where you're a club legend, they love you. You're, the, you're, the, you're Juve's greatest ever player, better than Ronaldo, um, better than Del Piero. You're the greatest, right? If you, if you spent 10 to 15 years as a player at Juventus, would you kiss the badge? Remember, as a player only, this is only – you can still be a fan of Inter, but in this situation, you're only, you're, you have to look at this and evaluate this question if, as if you are a player playing football. By the way, if, if you want to know my number, my number is 10. That's, every, that's the number that goes on everything, no matter what name I put on it. Yeah, Del Piero's 10. You can't wear 10. Oh, screw you. <laughs> um. But I'll still wear it over time because that's my birthday. So, so, um, I would because if I've had, I'm the greatest player that that club is Juventus has ever had in that scenario, and everybody has loved me and respected me, and I've had all this great success with them. I probably would kiss that badge. But now, answer after answering this question, I'm going to need to wash my mouth out with soap. <laughs> All right. Do you, yeah. know, you, know what? you know how much I hate Lazio? I would too. Because the thing is, in this in this situation, this scenario that um um footy culture put, posed, um, it, in that scenario, like obviously, if you're a footballer and you were offered by somebody else, you would go somewhere else. So in this in this situation, we're just assuming that it's the only team that offered you. If nobody else offered me, and Lazio said we'll give you 
we'll give you a chance to play in the first team. And then I go into the first team. I, I score a screamer in my debut. I score a hat trick in my second match. And then I become a legend. I'm scoring more goals than a Mobile. I'm balling out like, like I'm the best player they've ever had. I'm the, I'm, you know, my, my foot was kissed by God and I'm just banging them in all the time and I'm playing there and I continue to play there for 10, 15 years. Yeah. I'll kiss the badge, but only as a, a, a player and only in that, um, in that scenario, under any other circumstances, if I got if I got an offer from Lazio and Leech Pozon, I'll play in Poland, motherfucker. <laughs> but in that scenario, I, I'd kiss the badge, but only in that scenario. So don't light up my Instagram, you motherfucker. <laughs> yeah, you light up my Instagram and stuff. We're gonna have ninety nine problems, but finding a body might not be one. We'll see. But yeah, I mean, now I'm gonna have to wash my mouth out now because of answering that. Anyway, yeah, same. Just so you know, when we uh, so we're gonna have a guest on in a week or two, whatever it is. So I I, I just want to I just want to let you know the, the question I'm gonna ask on that night, just so you can have time to prepare prepare for it because it, it is a difficult question. So when we do that show, the question is gonna be. Um, what is your criteria for the best team in the world and explain why? So you can, uh, you know, I, I'm just, I'm just giving you the heads up because I want to give you as much time to think about that as, as, as possible. All right. Um, so with that being said, this has been a much needed episode of the Kelso Unplugged. We'll see you guys on the next one.